Welcome to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast, where facts, logic, and reasoning are at the forefront of every conversation. And in this episode, I will discuss men, money, and emotions. How do we separate ourselves between money and emotions? What is the psychology behind it? What emotions do we feel when we're dealing with money? So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve into this issue. Welcome back to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. As I said earlier in the intro, we're going to discuss men, money, and emotions. Now, just to let you know, when we're talking about men, money, and emotions, as men, a lot of times, we feel like we have to provide. And that is essentially true. We do have to provide. However, we get caught up sometimes in that providing where we might, in certain situations, make a knee-jerk decision, basically an emotional decision. We are often under pressure by our families and ourselves to be able to support our situations that we have. 72% of society think men should be able to support their families. Honestly, I'm not even surprised if I think that that number might have been actually a little bit higher, but about 72% feel that men should be able to support their families. Now, some of the interesting things pertaining to that that I I find pretty interesting is that when I was in a previous episode, I talked about how almost half of the American population doesn't have $1,000 saved for an emergency in case something happens, such as a car repair or anything like that. So I can see why emotions can be very, run very high when it comes pertaining to money. Now, one of the strangest things that I, in my lifetime that I've always noticed is that if you ever come across a stranger or somebody who you might meet in a certain area, it can be in a restaurant, it could be in, in just sitting on a park bench for that matter, and you strike up a conversation with a perfect stranger, a lot of times we will share everything with them in a very short period of time. They'll know who we are and where we work. We have children. We're married, single. And they find this stuff, this information out usually in 20, 30 minutes. But when it comes to our money, we never discuss that with people. What are some of the reasons for that? Well, it could be an emotional thing, such as some of the things we're going to talk about here shortly. But we're very safe. We're, we're very uh, guarded when it comes to talking about things, our, our money situations. But we will re- talk about everything else. So I think that's kind of strange. Part of it could be also, too, the anxiety. And we also, when we, we talk about money, we avoid. Avoidance kicks in. Because we have anxiety about our financial situations. A lot of times we might owe more money than we, we're bringing in. And so we might not want to discuss that with a, a stranger. But we'll talk about everything else, which is kind of strange. But as, as we were saying, how men have to have that ability to provide. Sometimes when we get caught up in that and we make a knee-jerk decision, we are not prepared 
for the consequences that come from that decision. So an example could be we had a, a something major came up and it was a major repair that we had to make and we ended up fixing it and we had to take some money out of a certain area and then that money is now gone and then something pops up where that happens and that's usually how it occurs too because that you know they always say when it rains it sort of pours so you'll get a whole lot of bad things happen at one time and so your ability to solve these type of problems these financial problems are going to be paramount to help your family get through the storm so as men we have to learn how to suppress these negative emotions that come up when we're pertaining to money. Because if we're going to be the head of the household, we have to provide leadership and making emotional decisions will not help. Reason why I say don't make a lot of emotional decisions pertaining to money a lot of times is because a majority of the time and percentage wise is very high. It's probably like 80 or 90 percent. Whenever we make emotional decisions, we tend to be wrong about 80 to 90% of the time versus if we think things through more logically. There was an episode when I talked about problem solving some and why that's very important. But as men, we have to master this skill. And it takes time. Obviously, it's not something you're going to learn in the course of a few months. It takes years. And one way, one way that you can do this is you have to be prepared for when the storm is going to come. So once you have a, a major financial situation hit, it's how you respond to the situation more so than how much money it's actually going to cost. You don't want to be in a situation where you have to borrow from family or friends, if at all, because that's kind of tough and you know everybody has their own issues. They don't want to have to bail you out regardless of what the situation may be. And so the best way to handle this is to have a plan in place for if disaster strikes. As they say, expect the best and plan for the worst. That's very common if you want to have good leadership pertaining to money. Again, as I had mentioned earlier, as men, we're, we're, there's a burden on us, put on us to provide and be protectors of our family. And for the most part, we do a good job of doing that. However, what are some of the emotions that we might experience pertaining to money as men? There's several, but I'm just going to hit on a few. Fear, guilt, shame, and envy. These are all negative emotions. And anytime we experience these negative emotions, it can lead to an adverse outcome if we act upon them. Now, recently, if you had been following the stock market, you would have noticed that the stock market has decreased by almost 20% from its uh, all-time high. And the natural reaction for people during this situation is to pull their money out, put it in something safe, and then when the market goes back up, then put it back in to the more riskier investment. The problem with doing that is that when the market goes back up, since you don't know when it's going to go back up, you might miss out on a lot of gains that the market will have. And because of that, 
even though your money will go back up, it wouldn't have went back to where it was before you took it out because you removed it. And when it, when, when it started to go back up, you missed out on it going up. And part of that is fear. Sometimes when we deal with money in our situations, we have a fear of not having enough. We might be working towards retirement and we might say, oh, I need to work a little bit harder. I need to work longer because I'm not going to have enough money in retirement. Or we might simply just fear not being able to meet the monthly bills that we have. One interesting stat I found out, I was, I was actually driving home from running a few errands just today. And I was listening to a show that I listened to pretty regularly. And on the show, they said that 17% of people who make over $100,000 a year do not have $1,000 in their savings account to cover a major expense. So these are six-figure earners. One in five, essentially, do not have enough money to cover an expense. And those are lifestyle decisions most likely that they're making. They're making very poor decisions pertaining to lifestyle. They're, they're living a higher lifestyle, but, and they're making the money, but they don't have any money saved or invested. And so what ends up happening is they're, they're kind of looking rich, but they don't actually have assets. So because of that, that puts them in a, a terrible position. One thing we also fear about money is we fear being embarrassed or exposed as not really being all that good with money if we make mistakes or one of the most difficult situations that you'll see. I mean, if you are old enough and you can remember the 2008 housing crashes, I remember being in the, in the Georgia area there, there was a, a lot of people who were, who came down to buy these big, beautiful houses, but and their mortgages and everything came in and they started to have to pay the mortgages. And some of them took out some kind of risky loans. They ended up getting foreclosed on. And a lot of this stuff might be put out on the lawn or they're thrown out. That's embarrassing. And because of that, that fear will make you make really poor decisions pertaining to money. We also said guilt. Guilt basically is when people make you feel guilty. It's, a, it's basically a feeling about a negative impact that you've had on others. So a lot of times as men, we get put in situations where if we make a mistake financially, we'll get a lot of guilt from other people. Oh, well, why didn't you do this? Or why did you let this happen? You're the father. You're the, you're the head of the household. You need to take care of all this stuff. That's guilt. And because we feel guilty by other people making these statements, we act a certain way. And because we act a certain way, we might make a decision based on fear or, or another negative emotion, which will lead us to be even in a deeper hole than we were before the situation occurred. So once we got to the situation and it was bad, because we acted on fear and guilt, we make a decision that puts us even further back than where we were in the first place. There are several examples where stuff like this happens, and I could go through all of them, but because of time, I will not. But guilt is a major negative emotion when it comes to money. Either we don't have enough or sometimes we felt like we overspent. Whatever the case may be, that emotion can cause major problems in our finances. 
Now, just to let you know, there's going to be kind of a part two to this where I'm going to be talking to someone as a guest and we're going to be talking about money and marriages. Don't let your finances ruin your marriage is basically what the episode is going to be titled. And it's just going to be a part two to this. And I'm just going to be talking with somebody else. But this is sort of setting everything up. The other feeling I mentioned was shame. Shame is feeling. It's a feeling when you let someone down or you're not living up to your worth pertaining to money. And that can be a horrible feeling as well. Meaning you kind of knew better and you still kind of messed it up a little bit. You're not, you're, you're not up to par. You're not doing as well as you could have done or what is expected of you. So you might feel a level of shame about certain things. Shame leads to avoidance. So what happens is if you have a major financial issue, sometimes we'll just avoid it and act like it's not there. And then hopefully say, oh, maybe go away or I'll do a little, a little bit or I'll deal with it later. Well, the problem gets bigger, bigger and stronger. Sometimes shame, ironically, in these situations, especially financial, as the financial problem gets bigger and the shame grows, it leads us to do other things, such as engage in some type of substance use, which puts even more of a financial strain on a home. This happens quite often. We might start drinking more. We might start using some other type of drug. Because we want the problem to go away. The problem is when the drug wears off, the pain comes back stronger and it comes back stronger. And that shame reminds us even more. And that can be a major problem when we're dealing with our finances and emotions. The last one I discussed was envy. And envy is a tricky word when it comes to money because this is, Part of what envy is, is that keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times if we're making a decent salary, good money, we want people to see it. So we will go out maybe and buy a nice house. We buy a nice car. The payments may be high, but we don't care. We can afford it. We think we can afford it. And that's envy because envy is basically we're just devaluing something, what we already have. So if I have a let's just use this as an example. Let's just say I have a luxury, luxury sedan, and it's a 2016. And someone down the street that I know that lives in the same area that I do bought a 2022. Same car I got. And I look at it and I see it. I said, man, who could that car? I got to get that car. Well, I just devalued my 2016. I put less value on it than what it's worth because I envy the neighbor who has the new one. And that can affect us in so many ways. So a lot of times we'll see people with a house. We say, oh, I got to get a house just as big as theirs. I got to get a bigger house than theirs. Or it has to have a minimum number of square feet. We often talk like this. But we don't really need all of that stuff. A lot of times it's wants. If we were to talk about houses and cars and different things, what's the biggest thing you're going to do with your car? How often, how often are you in your car? The average commute time is, for the average commute time in the United States is roughly 26 minutes each way. So on average, you're in your car for maybe one hour a day. It doesn't matter. And, and think about when you're going to work is early in the morning. So, you know, you're going to work, most people aren't even going to, 
see you or notice you in the car. Maybe on the weekends when you're off, if you have a, a typical nine to five job, but most people aren't going to even be, really be paying attention. And number two, if a lot of guys, we would, we would get nice cars when I was younger. We would try and get nice cars because we wanted to attract female attention. So we would try and get the nicest, most expensive car that we could afford so that it, we could maybe get a certain type of a girl or something to that effect. But looking back at it, you might want to ask yourself, is this the type of person you would want to be in a long-term relationship with who's more enamored by your car than who you are as a person? That All that stuff will come, come to fruition as you be in a relationship with someone like that. Now, there are different types of ways that people grow up pertaining to money. Some people grow up rich, some people grow up middle class, and some people grow up poor. The problem sometimes with people who grow up poor is they try to relive, they try to give their children what they didn't have. This is dangerous because what happens is you start living your life through your children. I remember seeing a TV show where this woman was building this big, beautiful house. And the the host of the show said, why are you building this house? It's not even finished or complete. You're still working on it. She says, the house isn't for me. It's for the children. Children don't care about the house. The house was for you. You wanted that house because that's the house you wanted to live in when you were a child. Kids don't care where they live. I mean, when we moved to the house that we live in now, my son didn't want to move. He wanted to stay in his old room. Kids don't care about that stuff. That's adults saying that stuff. The best advice I give people pertaining to this is try not to live your childhood through your kids. Try not to give them everything that you didn't have. Children don't need everything. So remember that. Because what happens is when you grow up poor and then you do get some money, and you start to be in relationships and everything, you start wanting all these things that you didn't have. And that can put a financial strain on a relationship and a marriage. Finances, I believe, is number three, the third reason why people get divorced in the United States. Number three. Some people say it's number two or even one. But something I just read recently said it was the third leading cause of divorce. Not exactly 100% sure, but I do know I've seen several marriages break up because of a lack of funds. Now, one thing that used to get me in trouble a little bit way back when, and when I say way back when, I'm talking about when I was in my late mid to late 20s, 30s, early 30s, is I was living in the, the Boston, Massachusetts area. This was in the 90s when I was young. And, you know, we all had credit cards and different things like that. One of the dumb things that I used to do is we would go out to a certain location or a bar or club. And sometimes if you ran out of money, you didn't have enough money. Like sometimes I would, wouldn't get paid until that next week or the following. Well, within a few days. And we'd be out. They would literally let you at the club. You could charge a certain dollar amount. So usually they say, if you want to charge, say, $50. And you can. You just have to have the manager put it on your card. And basically you could 
go be in a club and you can drink and do whatever it is you wanted to do with that $50. Well, looking back on it now, that was really a bad thing that I did. I did that a couple times. And I remember that when I was, you know, like I said, in my 20s. Now, obviously, I paid the money back. It didn't affect my credit score or anything like that. But I shouldn't have been in that situation to where I was even doing that. But when you're young, you don't make you don't think about those things. Another thing that I used to do that was really crazy was a lot of the department stores. I I used to have to get certain things, whether it be electronics or anything like that. They would have zero percent interest for 12 months. Now you see them, I'd see 24 months, 36 months. And a lot of times I used to buy things just because I could get it for zero percent. And my, my justification was, my justification was, I'm not paying any interest on it. So I'm ahead of the game. And I remember one purchase that I did make, because honestly speaking, a lot of the things I bought with 0% interest, I can only really remember a few things that I actually bought with it. But there was one thing that I did remember that I bought. And now this is going to date, age me a little bit, but just, <laughs> just go with this for a second. This was probably like 1999 and CD recorders and like in a component stereo set were coming out and they were very popular. So obviously when a new electronic comes out, it's very expensive. And I had seen this one particular CD recorder that matched the stereo components that I had. And I just said, I got to have that because I really want to be able to record my CDs, you know, because that was a new thing. So, you know, you could burn a copy of a CD and play it somewhere else if you wanted to. And I remember this item cost about $700 at that time. And the store I bought it from was like, we're offering you 0% for 12 months. So I ended up buying this piece of equipment and I did use it and I enjoyed it and I loved, you know, I loved it for, you know, for however long I had it. But I only bought it because I could do it for 0% because at that time I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I ended up buying this, this electronic piece and I was like, Oh, look at this. It's great. It works. It's, I love it. But I, if it wasn't for the 0%, I probably would have never bought it. Cause I wouldn't have, cause I felt as what's really tricky about that 0% interest. A lot of times you feel like it's not even your money. You almost feel like sometimes you're getting it for free or you're getting it at a discount and you're really not, you're paying the full price for it. And one thing that stores won't tell you is that generally speaking, when they do offer 0% for all that many times, all those years, they're not really giving you the sale price. You're sort of paying full price for it, but that's another story. And then there was another incident where I had a TV in my bedroom and that TV had blew out and I had to buy a new one. I had the TV, the old TV for years, so it lasted a very long time. So I had to buy a new TV and I bought a new TV, but because... They were running 0% for 24 months. I bought a whole bunch of stereo equipment for the car, too. So the stereo equipment for the car ended up costing more than the television did. So I was paying for this stereo stuff that I didn't need because I already had a stereo in the car. But I wanted a nicer stereo. So because I wanted to 0%, and I, they said, because you're buying a TV, you could charge other stuff on this, on this same uh, bill. And it'd be the same, you know, you don't have to pay interest on other stuff that you're buying, even though that's not what the promo, promo promotion says. 
So I ended up going and buying all this stuff and I'm paying all this stuff off. And I'm looking back on it in retrospect. And I'm like, man, this was really silly because I already had a stereo in my car. So why did I go ahead and buy more? I bought more because it was 0%. Now, I was fortunate enough to eventually pay all this stuff off. It did not affect my credit score. But there are people who engage in the same type of behavior I did, but they would do it with multiple items. And that's how they get into financial trouble. And they'll, they'll see something. And a lot of times we call them emotional purchases where we will see certain things. When I used to be in sales. So I remember um, we'd get customers who would come in and they just buy something right off the top. And we would call that a lay down. And a lay down just means that you didn't have to do any work as the salesperson. They just came in and bought it from you and you still got the commission for it. So that would happen quite often. And, but again, those were emotional decisions that people would make. So how do we avoid making emotional decisions when it comes to money. The first thing we have to do is be knowledgeable about money, how it works. What's the best situation for us? Those 0% deals that I got, they really didn't benefit me. I was just buying extra stuff because I could. So I was not knowledgeable about money at that time. Once you learn and develop the knowledge about money, you will be less likely to make knee-jerk decisions. You have to put a limit or a cap on what you're going to spend. Some people do a budget and they have an entertainment budget and they'll say, oh, I'm only going to spend this much or I'm only going to spend that. That's great. But what do you do when that emotional purchase comes up? Are you going to stick to your budget or are you going to just go away from it? And that's the tricky part. So the best thing to do is learn about money, be knowledgeable about money, have a plan when it comes to money. How much you're going to actually spend each month if you can't afford it. That means that you can't get it. And that's one of the hardest things for people to accept sometimes, especially if they see it's an item that they really want. And you have to put that into perspective. If you can do those things, you won't run into too many money problems. One of the last thing that people say of several books, the latte factor books and things that affected I've read is always say pay yourself first. So if you want some of these type of items or these material items or things that you want, make sure that you have saved money for the month before you buy those items. Because everybody should have some money tucked away in case of emergency. And as I said to you earlier, half of the country does not. And part of the reason why is because they make emotional decisions pertaining to money out of fear, guilt, shame, and envy. So if we can control those negative emotions, have a plan about our money, be knowledgeable about money, we won't end up in these situations. Because even if something bad does happen, we'll have the money, prepared, we'll have the money there to improve and, and, and get out of that situation without any major hiccups. We'll just be able to just ride through it pretty smoothly. So with that being the case, we're going to wrap up this particular podcast. I just want to continue to tell the audience, thank you. If you haven't been able to check it out yet, we do have the website up. It's uh, there will be in the show notes of the web address, but I'm going to tell it to you here just in case. It's www.podpage.com forward slash the 
dash three dash thirteen dash men dash money dash and dash marriage. It will be in the show notes so you can look it up and see it for there. For, see it for yourself. If you go to the website, all the episodes there are archived. You can leave there. You'll see a small microphone in the bottom right hand corner of the screen. You click on that microphone. You can leave a voice message. It's very easy. If you want to leave an email, it will be a part of the email list for the show. All you have to do is put your name and email address in and you can leave me a message. If you want to, you hit the button that says basically once you, you hit a button there and you'll be on the email list. Once you get on the email list, what you can do is you'll, you'll get notice on what the next show will be about a couple of days in advance. So the, most of the episodes are usually released on a Saturday. So you'll probably get the information on Thursday or Friday. That's if you sign up for the email list. So with that being the case, I want to say thank you for continuing to support this podcast. We're going to continue to constantly try and put out an episode every week. And with that being the case, I will bid you a good night.